It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Now you know, William, on the 13th, we're really supposed to skip from 12 to 14. I thought that was on hotel floors. All right. Good evening, folks. I'm Jim Sims, and in today's broadcast, you'll also hear from Dr. Charlie Nelms, former chancellor of both the North Carolina Central University and Indiana University East Campus to bring some closure to Bloomington's Black History Month all in the next hour right here on Bring It On. Also joining us from the Monroe County History Center will be the director, Susan Dyer, the uh, exhibits manager, A.J. Giannopoulos, and we're going to talk about updating some of the galleries and exhibits at the uh, History Center. But first... Here on Bring It On, we strive to dispel myths and shed light on truths that sometimes go unaddressed. One commonly held opinion is that blacks are not welcome in all communities, especially southern Indiana. While history bears some credence to this belief, one nearby community has received more than its fair share of critical press on its race relations. We are speaking of the town of Martinsville. With a population of around 12,000, Martinsville is the is the county city of Morgan County. Is county that right? seat. Yeah, that, that didn't go right. No, yeah. Yep, it is the county seat. You're right. Historically, Martinsville was the place of some racial controversies, such as the 1968 murder of 20-year-old African-American Carol Jenkins, who was stabbed to death with a screwdriver while selling encyclopedias door-to-door. Jenkins' murder remained unsolved for 33 years until Kenneth Richmond was arrested for the crime. Richmond was a Hendricks County resident who was passing through Martinsville on the night Jenkins was murdered. A white couple, Don and Norma Neal, who called the police to try to help Carol a half hour before she died, proposed a monument in Carol's memory on the courthouse grounds. The county declined to place a monument on on that location at that time. In November 2017, Martinsville partnered with Carol's hometown of Rushville to hold memorial events in Carol's honor with their family present. Martinsville also dedicated a monument in Carol's memory and presented a smaller replica of the stone to Carol's family. Now, during the late 1800s, a black man named Albert Merritt was founder of the Boys Club in Martinsville. He was born near Bowling Green and was the son of freed slaves. He came to Martinsville Mineral Springs Sanitarium in the 1890s from a job as a porter at the Sinnings Hotel in Louisville and lived at the sanitarium for the rest of his life, never marrying. He worked with the children of Martinsville for 50 years, building a clubhouse on North Marion Street. Merritt Park on the northwest end of town is named for Albert. Bring It On has covered his life and positive impact on Martinsville during a previous broadcast that showcased a community recognition held in his honor. Martinsville still fights to this day its reputation for racism and prejudice. Though many people living there say they welcome people from all races, sexual orientations, and religions. 
It was reported by indie station WRTV6 that an LGBTQ association was the largest club at their local high school in 2015, and town leaders have opposed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and sought to discriminate against those relying on it. Liz Mitchell, Bring It On contributor and segment producer of Dark Past, Bright Future, is here to shed more light on the black presence in Martinsville. Liz, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, Good to be back home. That was a lot of history, huh? Yes. (laughs) So how do you want to start this conversation? Well, first of all, I want uh, our listening audience to know, uh, we know that this is Monroe County's bicentennial, and they're probably asking why we're talking about Morgan County instead of Monroe County. Monroe County will be covered by Resilience Productions in October. The Underground Railroad, the Slave Catchers, and just about anything you can imagine about Monroe County. So we've got that covered in October, and since the whole year is the celebration, we got, you know, we're going to take care of that. And that will be at the UU Church, Unitarian Universal Church, October 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, to be five performances, talking about Monroe County. So in talking about Martinsville, like you said, they had that history of extreme racism. And it's really sad, but it's true for not only for for Martinsville and for anyone, a good name goes before you and your bad name follows you the rest of your life. So because of this incident of two people who were not there, the two men who killed Carol Jenkins were not from Martinsville, but since the incident happened there, there it is. And then since then, there are high schools, North and South, have gone there for games, and it has not been a pleasant experience, and that has been in recent years. So because of that, they, they face uh, uh, accusations of extreme racism. And most people think it's a sundown town, meaning that the blacks are run off and that none are there, where there are black people there today. Um, and Martinsville has always had blacks there, starting with John Reed, who bought 80 acres of land, and his family settled there. There's the Reed Cemetery that is there, and at one time, they had a chapel there that was part of the Underground Railroad. Slaves escaping from the South came through Indiana, and that was one of the many ways that they headed north, was from Salem up through Bloomington, up to Martinsville, briefly, Mooresville, and on up that way. So there were a few people uh, just right outside Martinsville, which is Washington Township. They would go to the next township or next little city, which was Mooresville, that had a large Quaker population. And they certainly helped the slaves escape through that. So Martinsville never was a sundown town that was not as much as uh, Linton Linton Indiana definitely had a sign out there saying by six o'clock be out and there was a neighborhood here in Bloomington that by six o'clock you had to be out of the neighborhood so Martinsville itself had blacks there Um, I had in my research I talk about in the 1850 census 
in Martinsville or in Morgan County, there were 97 blacks. Okay, if you go to Monroe County, there were 27. If you talk about Owen County, Spencer, there was a a large population there. And in, in the 1850s, they had 156 blacks. So over there, they all in Owen County, they had more blacks than Monroe or Martinsville, but Martinsville always ran a close second. And that might be due to the spas and the uh, the health resort sanatoriums. That and were and there. there's, there's some uh, history behind the spas. and There were two that was exclusive to the, uh, of course, you know, the terminology at that time was colored. So right. there were two spas that were exclusive to the colored people. Okay. Now, Liz, earlier you said that um, Martinsville... Um, we were talking about sundown towns, and you said mm-hmm. not as much, um, and, and then mentioned some other cities in a portion that of Bloomington. That definitely were, yeah. Well, in, in my world, it either is or it isn't. True. So it's not as much that don't really resonate to me. Okay, um, But me. I just wanted to say okay. that. So either Good. it is or it is not. However, I, I don't want to dwell on that. Okay. Um, the, mar- the reputation that Martinsville has. Yes. Um and even in our little short discussion, has been more positive discussion than it has been negative. Um, so how do you, or why do you think that reputation has persisted for so long? Yeah. Because of other incidents that have happened with uh, screaming at our ball players when they come to play ball, mm-hmm. um, and just the horrific nature of that uh, murder and that this man was found years ago. His young daughter, who was seven, came forward to say she was in the back seat of the car and witnessed her father and his friend who had been drinking, and they saw Carol and jumped out of the car. And when they got back in, they gave her $7, a dollar per year, to be quiet and not mention it. And then they said, well... She got what she could deserve talking about Carol Jenkins. So here's this little kid, a baby, sitting in the back seat and witnessed all that. And she turned around as they were driving off. And the thing that stuck in her mind was the yellow scarf. And someone wrote a book called The Yellow Scarf. It may have even been her. But here's a seven-year-old witnessing her dad and then to come forward later on and to tell it as an adult, that she remembered it and then turned her dad in. Hmm. So just that portion of it has stuck with them. Okay. And I've been in Bloomington, my Lord, for over 45 years. And what have you always heard? And I do not see that their reputation is improving. Um, In fact, um, I want to know why, or I would like to know why it even persists even in southern and south central Indiana. Well... Um, you know, yeah. and I know there's a, a Mr. Albert Merritt. In mm-hmm. fact, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, there was a group in Martinsville that was working um, in order to, to reverse this reputation or trying to and, and reaching out. Um, and they had a little dinner mm-hmm. there. It was like a, a rebuilt church or something. Um, and it was a recognition for Albert Merritt and yes. all the things that he'd done for those boys at the boys club. Um, 
and I'm not being in that year. I don't even recall getting an invite, but I do know there was an effort. So do you know anything ab- about that or is it continuing? I just know that one of the spa owners uh, was in Louisville, Kentucky mm-hmm. and asked Albert Merritt to come up and be a porter in one of the spas and he agreed. He, like you said, he never married. He spent all of his time, his off-duty time and all of his money and formed a club for uh, poor wayward boys. They are claiming that about 2,000 boys went through his club and they're very proud of the fact of, uh, in fact, I met a gentleman Friday when I was at the library there says, you know, I'm one of the Albert boys or Merritt boys or Doc Merritt boys. So they were really proud of the fact that this gentleman, he was like a gentleman of gentlemen's, took the time out for all of these boys. And they have a mural painted on him and he's on the Hall of Fame. And that one thing they're they're really proud of. So, Liz, we, okay, let's uh, pivot for a minute. We're Mm going to come back to Martinsville because that really is a fascinating story. But you also sit on the board uh, for the Monroe County History Center. Is that correct? Yes. So, uh, Susan and AJ are here with us tonight, and uh, they're going to talk about some of the exhibits and, and understand you're doing some upgrades over there. Yeah, so one of the things that we're doing is we recognize that we're really not telling the story of African-American history mm-hmm. from Bloomington and Monroe County history or in the History Center. So we've gotten some grant money, and we are going to start looking at our permanent galleries, our, um, our exhibits, our collections, and our programs to make sure that we can integrate those stories more pervasively throughout the History Center. What kind of stories are you uh, coming across in your research? I, I visited your website and I saw some, uh, uh, I was lo- scro- uh, scrolling through the pictures. Some of them are very interesting. We do. And we have a, an extensive collection of pictures. Um, so that's part of what AJ is doing. He's our exhibit designer and manager. And, and he's working on find, trying to find these stories. And Liz is a big help with that as well because that's it's part of our goal is we have to connect with the community so that we can find these stories to tell. Yeah, because you can do all the research you want in a book and read everything you right. want, but I've learned, especially through Liz, meeting the community and hearing those stories firsthand is what makes my job a lot of fun because then I get to translate, translate that to other people. And... Um, so kind of an example of what we're doing, we're redoing the Cook Gallery, and part of that is we're gonna do the barbershops and beauty salons of Bloomington. So we've got some really cool objects. We got a big, like Nestle hair permer that looks, looks something out of a horror movie, but it's 1930s and curled your hair. But Liz was able to get us some uh, with scissors and hair clippers from Georgia Deal, who was one of the, I think the first lady to cut black women's hair in Bloomington. So we're trying to incorporate her story in there. We've got a, a mirror from the Graham Hotel Barbershop, and there's a gentleman named Bill Woods who uh, you know, did shoes, shine shoes, and then he opened up his, his own barbershop, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got a mirror from that. So it's just kind of incorporating these stories into these exhibits so we know we're covering it all. We're not just focusing on certain sides. So these are all African Americans that you're talking about, right? Yeah, Georgia Deal and uh, Bill Woods. What What are some of the some of the uh, Liz? Do you know some of the other names that uh, have come up in your research that are still in Bloomington today? Oh, uh, one um, 
one elderly gentleman and he and his son, Pleasant Evans, Maurice Evans, um, they had a shop that's what the the alley bar that was his barber shop right there, right next to the Irish Lion. Um, they have a photo in there of Pleasant e- Evans. Uh, Maddie Jacobs Fuller did hair. Uh, there were quite a few uh, blacks here that, you know, you had, entrepreneurship was big in the black community during segregation. Right. So all over the country. Right. All over the country. And so there were quite a few that, that made a living uh, doing that. And I don't know if you're going to bring that up to present day barbers and barbershops. Uh, we didn't really have that many even when I came here in the 70s. There was well, only one or two places to get your hair cut. So. Well, you don't have that many now. We don't have that um, many now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I don't and, worry about it myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but let's get back to the, the, the um, history center. Um, the exhibits that you're doing, and I think I heard earlier that this isn't specifically <laughs> Black History Month, but some black history items. Did I mishear that? Uh, no, you're no, right. Okay. So, um, and I guess my question is, is obviously we're in the middle of the bicentennial celebration. Mm-hmm. So how well connected, if at all, are you all with the celebration, uh, understanding some of the history that we'll be using to celebrate is part of the History Center. Um, And and one thing, and I've been to a couple of these um, celebrations, um, kickoffs. Rededication. And all of that. Um, Thank you, sir. And we hear a lot about Ferris Market and a a lot of some long-term, and and I'm okay with that, Um, but we don't really hear a lot of longer-term African-American history as part of the Bicentennial. Um, and, and so it would it, you it would seem that maybe some of that history of the Maurice Evans, um, the 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 Bill or Mr. Henson, mm-hmm. um, these folks. Um, does that is that making sense? It is, is, and, is that? and that's part of why you know we're doing this comprehensive overview. Mm-hmm. It's part of the bicentennial. Um, we have some funding that we can do that now, and you know it, it's time to to say that it, we need to represent this throughout the galleries and we need yes. to, we know the families were here. We have to do some more digging because they're not traditionally in all the history books. And, you know, but that means that makes our job more of a challenge. And we have a lot of people that are descendants that are still here that can tell these stories. And that's part of why we're here is we need to make those connections. AJ and I are both new to Bloomington. I've been down here since no October, and he's been here since August. Thankfully, Liz has been great help on our board to connect us mm-hmm. to representatives in the community that can share their stories. William was saying, we've got a lot of photographs. I don't necessarily know them. <laughs> um, luckily, right. others do. Uh, and that's why we want to do this throughout the Bicentennial. We don't want to just talk about white families. We want to talk more minorities. There. And, they're, and they're all equally important. They, they um, are. And, and not to indicate otherwise. Um, but I've just noticed that there is a lack uh, of that history. There um, is. And I've been here long enough to know, and I think most of us know, that there is a deeper-rooted Yes. African-American presence Go ahead and say it, Jim. I haven't been here very long. <laughs> well, you know, but you've been here long enough to know, to hear some of the things that we've heard. Um, but we, and, and Liz does research. Um, I just know Mr. Henson, who his relatives uh-huh. um, went up uh, um, to the North, to North Pole. Pole. 
um, you know, that sort of thing. So those things interest me. Um, and some of the housing issues that we had with Gilliam back in the 50s and these sorts of things. Um, so, so just actually, we're just, it's like fishing, you know, we're just putting a little bait out there. So, <laughs> so you all can nibble. And, and we you can know, um, AJ, Liz could be your entire Black History Gallery. With all, all the travel and the research yeah. that she does, I mean, she's just a wealth of information. That's why she's my go-to. But uh, Susan, I wanted to ask, what is the end game here? Once you finish uh, crafting this gallery that you're talking about, what what is the scope of it? What what do you want to come up with? So these are our permanent galleries. Yes. Um, so we have both temporary, you know, changing exhibitions, oh. um, and we have one that's going to be on African American history that AJ is specifically working on for the bicentennial. But we also need to update these permanent galleries so that when you come to the History Center, you can recognize yourself in the stories that you're seeing, uh, and it's not just um, white history anymore. So when I went to your website, and and it's just a. Uh, uh, is it safe to say thousands of pictures? I think there's about 10,000 pictures. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess it is safe to say that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty safe. <laughs> so <laughs> as you um, make these images public, are you hoping that people will come forth and maybe be able to identify some of those? Because most of the ones I saw did not have any captions, no names, uh, no, no uh, dates and no places. And that would be a huge help to us because we get these donations that may come in, you know, a, someone passes away and a family donates some mm-hmm. pictures, but there's nothing written on them. Um, and we need to find those stories. Who are these people? So that's something I've been working on, William, is uh, taking unidentified pictures and mm-hmm. going around as I try to collect oral histories, uh, videotaped oral histories of anyone that's African-Americans 80 plus years old. A few years ago, I did the first set of video histories. The only person that's alive from those days is Miss Rose Dorson. So now I'm doing the second wave of anyone who's turned 80 plus. So I've got like uh, Sharon Ware and Preston Bridgewaters, Snooky, in that group. This is the trouble that I'm having. Some people don't want to tell their stories. I don't know why, or they don't mm. want to be videotaped. So in going door to door, it's time consuming and difficult because some people don't want to come forward with, with stories. It's gotta um, be frustrating. It is because I'm not from here and you go to the History Center and there's nothing there about African-Americans and you wonder why no one is participating, why they're not telling their stories. The African-American history here from local folk is awesome and it needs to be told and it needs to be shared. And so um, we've started uh, an African-American committee and I have been begging people online to be a part of this committee. So I've got one faithful person and other people that may or may not come to meetings. So it's been a struggle trying to get people to realize how important it is to represent us in the History Center. Because when I went there last summer, you would get the impression that blacks did not live here. So I appreciate that Susan and AJ are willing to step up and do something about it. 
but the community the community needs to step up too right and well, i just need help well you know? that's true and i think um um there's a lot of, of transition um residents that come mainly for the university um, even back when uh, the jobs were more plentiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd come and they'd go and they'd come and they'd go. Um, so, so I think that was part of the issue. Um, another thing, and make sure that before we leave, that you all leave contact information unless you have that, William, so that um, we could at least get that out so people can, can try to contact you. And um, so if they leave you, like, pictures, will it say, like, this is from the Johnson family? or you know it's from the Johnson family, but those pictures are unidentified. Is, is it something similar to that? Yes, we would yeah, give credit to whoever donated whoever them donated as well them. as be able to identify who's actually in the pictures and, you know, the time period. Correct. Because um, we need to know what that is as well. And okay. there's a couple of ways to do this. You can loan the History Center items, or you can don- donate them, or Correct. you can loan them until you decide what you want to do. Correct. Maybe later on you may say it's important enough that the History Center can uh, acquire these things so that on down the road, 10, 20, 25 years, then people can come in and see the history. And I'm really interested in local history from the local families. And there's quite a few of them still here. We know the transits come in, but you know, what about the people well, who that, were here that, in the 1800s? Well, but that's what I was getting at. And yeah. at some point, um, mm-hmm. I'm working with, um, Lord, I can't even think of Jim, the history at IU. Yeah. Oh, Jim Madison. G- no, Jim Capshaw. Yeah, I'm Jim sorry. Um, there's a couple different ways to try to capture that. Yeah. And um, far be it for me to tell you how. Um, but I think we've got at least two strong African-American churches, and we would open our doors at Second Baptist if there was a Saturday and it'd say, listen, everybody just stop in and we got cookies and refreshments. Just take a look at these and see if you could help yeah. us. That that might help. And, We're and, gonna have to bring and, that and those back. those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and it's gonna take some work. Yes um, it is. Let's switch gears. One of the things too, and, and there's some other things I do out in the community that we all do. I mean my Lord, we all got three or four hats on. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important here lately that we've been talking about the black market um, and what was there and before it all happened, which is now People's Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to start an initiative to put a histor- historical marker there. Um, and we can talk about all that later because I know it's going to take some money and some other things like we did at the colored school um, with all that help. Um, so just throwing that out there so it's on everybody's radar if you hadn't heard it already because okay. um, it will be coming in our friend up in Indy. Um, Mm-hmm. at the Historical Bureau. Well, I'm getting old. I can't remember anything with <laughs> <with> this. <laughs> That's you know, okay. Don't you look know. at me. <laughs> as, as, as long as you have your memory on Wednesday nights. <laughs> um, okay, AJ. Another thing that we wanted to bring out Go ahead, too, besides that, mm-hmm. uh, the black market, is that there were underground railroad sites all through Bloomington, Monroe County, and not all of them were white families. Everybody remembers the Ferris's and the Smiths but they don't remember Nolly Baker, one of the early black barbers who was shuffling people through, or Auntie Myers. And so at one time years ago, there were markers that indicated where all of them were, the the black underground railroad conductors as well as the white ones. I would like to see those markers put in place, put them back 
find out where they are and put those put those up so people will know that it took all of us and not just the Ferris and the Smith family. Okay. Well, and I didn't mean to point just out those families. They're just famous. I've shopped at yeah, the Ferris market. Yeah, because that's what everybody knows. Well, I've shopped at the Ferris market, so it wasn't, yeah. I don't want that to be any way um, interpreted as denigrating at all. Um, I would just like to broaden that um, to include um, more folks, actually. Yeah. Well, we, so we have a few, uh, few minutes left. AJ, I wanted to ask you one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. As you update your exhibits, um, besides Liz, what are the best sources that, that you have in, in finding some of the exhibits to get into the gallery? Uh, honestly, just the great resources here uh, in the community, the university, the public library. Um, so you get the, the first-hand accounts, and then what makes my job fun is digging into the research and finding these stories that people haven't heard before. So uh, we haven't talked about it, but the exhibition we have coming up in June is called Breaking the Color Barrier, Bloomington's First. And it's about the people that broke, broke the color barrier in Bloomington. So like Liz is a part of it. She was the first female uh, black postal worker. But a guy that I found really interesting was uh, Dr. Jeremiah Jackson, mm -hmm. who was the first uh, black alumni of Ellettsville High School. So we're talking 1880s. And he was the first black to graduate from IU Medical School. So then he was kind of a doctor here, and then he went to Evansville. But when I was talking with Liz, and um, talked with Betty Bridgewaters, she, they never heard of him. Mm. So it's finding those people um, that makes this awesome, to be honest, and then being able to tell those stories. So it's just using every resource you have, and that's why I think Bloomington's awesome is because we have the university, we have people very qualified, and we have a great, great board to um, support that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, uh, I also wanted to uh, pay attention to the man behind <laughs> the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Susan, can you go ahead and uh, let our listening audience know what the website and the phone number are? So our website is MonroeHistory.org, and our phone number is 812-332-2517. I mean, you can talk to anybody that answers the phone. You can contact us through the website. We are going to be launching a new website soon that'll make it easier to search for these images that you and I were looking at together, William. Um, one of the things we can do is digitize people's photographs. So if they yeah. have photographs that they want to hold on to, we can make an electronic copy that we can then put out there and make available to the public as well. Okay, Liz, any final words on Martinsville? Anything? Well, we didn't get to cover everything, but one more important point that you want our listening audience well, to know. Well, that there are uh, African Americans that live there now. I think out of the population, there's uh, um, 31 what they call biracial, and then 24 African Americans. That's just in Martinsville in, in itself. In Morgan County, there's quite a few more. They are trying really hard to change their image, but like I said before, your good name follows you for the rest of your life. I mean, your bad name. So when your good name goes before you. So uh, they're trying, but that one incident, that kind of that kind of did it. And then they need to talk to the young people that to be more welcoming when our ball players come there to play for sports. Okay, well, thank you. And um, the last thing from my part, it's going to take a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take a lot. And um, whether it's true or not true, once it's been ingrained for that long, mm -hmm. um, but whatever us Bloomingtonians can do to help, I'm sure we will be willing to do that.
Okay, this evening, folks, we want to thank Liz Mitchell, Bring It On contributor and segment producer of Dark Past, Bright Future. Liz Mitchell, for joining us to shed more light on the black presence in Martinsville. We'd also like to thank from the Monroe History Center, Miss Susan Dyer and A.J. Gionopoulos. All right. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, All right. <laughs> I, I put my hand out so you can smack my hand if I screw that up. Um, and they are in the process of eight, updating the core galleries and some of their temporary and permanent um, exhibits that having to do with some African-American history as well as other history in our bicentennial um, time frame this year. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would like to hear it. You can send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Bloom Magazine. Bloom Magazine's website features news stories posted every day, including an up-to-date events calendar. More information at magbloom.com, Bloomington's community website. Also, from Stratford Law Office, LLC, offering family law representation, collaborative law, and mediation, practicing, practicing in Monroe, Owen, Lawrence, Green, and Brown Counties. Located on Bloomington's near west side at 714 West Kirkwood Avenue. More information can be found online at Stafford Law at Stafford.legal. And 
WFHB is a media sponsor of the 11th annual Percussive Dance Extravaganza in Square Dance. This event features a performance by the 11-member Foot Squad, followed by square dancing for all ages. Dance live music by local and visiting musicians. Happening at Mike's Dance Barn on Saturday, March the 3rd at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are available at Blooming Foods East and West. For more information, call 812-219-1890. Keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and from there search for WFHB. Or you can always visit our news website at WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Roberta Radovich. According to Black History Month Committee Chair McQueeba Reese, the City of Bloomington organizes a series of events each February to provide a space for the black community to celebrate its culture. The Black History Celebration concludes over the weekend with a fabulous gala that recognized many stellar residents and their collective positive achievements. At the top of the hour, we shared that Dr. Charlie Gnomes, former chancellor um, of North Carolina Central University, most recently Indiana University East um, on the East Campus, uh, University of Michigan at Flint, and the founding vice president for OVP DEMA, which we call the Office of the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs. Uh, we said that he'd be joining us to bring some closure to Bloomington's Black History Month, and we're so excited that uh, Charlie's here tonight on uh, Bring It On to do just that. Dr. Nelms, welcome to Bring It On. I, you know, I'm delighted to be here. You all are always so kind to invite uh, a country fellow like me to come and talk about a variety of things, but of course, uh, Black History Month is one of my all-time favorite. So we we wanted we wanted your audience. What a what a year um, this Black History Month has been. So from your perspective, Charlie, what are some important takeaways? But before we go there, before we go super high level, just what are some of your reflections on the the relevance and the importance of this year's celebration of Black History Month? You know, I think history is just awfully important, not only during the month of February, but for those other 11 months as well. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, it's all about reflecting, remembering, and then charting a course forward. Mm -hmm. Because if we dwell in the past, we're never gonna get where we, uh, to where we need to be. Yeah. And so I think that is, that is probably the thing that I would want most to remember. You know, it was Malcolm X who said, of all of our studies, History is best suited to reward our research. Of all our studies, history is best suited to reward our research. And so I think, you know, you don't have to be um, a PhD, a JD, EDD, MBA, BA, anything in order to really have a deep and abiding understanding and appreciation for history. 
And so that's what I think, uh, that's the most important takeaway for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that is to understand it 12 months out of the year. Yeah, 365. 365 yeah. days. So from your perspective, Charlie, somebody who's been an advocate and an educator literally his entire life, um, what's the point of Black History Month for the young people? You know, it's amazing how little people remember, even the older people, how little we remember of of the bygone era. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to a young person and not so young person and ask them about some significant names. You know, uh, I was asking someone the other day, who was the first African-American person to win a Nobel Peace Prize? Mm-hmm. You know, and the name Ralph Bunch came up. Nobody even knew who I was talking about, yeah. you know, with Ralph Bunch. Uh, A lot of people don't even remember Martin Luther King, you know, uh, Walter Washington, the mayor of of Chicago. It's amazing how little people really remember of years uh, gone by. And so I think uh, Black History Month is an opportunity for us to reflect, to renew, Mm-hmm. Uh, and to learn anew, afresh, because so many people just don't know. Right. Uh, some of it has to do with the lack of emphasis in our churches, uh, in our schools, and even the people in many instances who are teaching our children don't even understand and have an appreciation. You know, I mean, they, they, you hear people talk about colored only water fountain, mm-hmm. restrooms, and all of that, mm-hmm. but they can't get much beyond that. Yeah, um, they really can't. I mean, what gave rise to the establishment of Black History Week in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what even gave rise to it? Why do we need it now? Why are we even walking out here talking about it? And I think the most important thing is to refresh our memories. To refresh our memories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because the, the further you move away from the generation who actually were impacted by people like Dr. King and Malcolm X, it seems like the more difficult it is to teach that that next generation mm-hmm. they they really don't have a connection to it so mm-hmm. it's just something that they read in a book mm-hmm. you know uh, but that's where the parents come in sure. the parents have to make it uh, a little bit more relevant I think and not leave it so much up to the schools mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you uh, you said you just made it back to town Last night? Last night from Little Rock. Wow. Uh-huh. So were you able to attend any of the Black History events here in Bloomington? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I was able to. Tell me, could you tell us which ones you attended and what you took away from those events? Well. Personally. What I took away personally. Uh, I attended the opening event, okay? And a lot of people think about black history in the context of the southern states, and so you would hear people talking about way back there then, the South was just so backward. And the young man who was the opening speaker, as I recall, Eric, Eric Love, yeah. talked about growing up in Idaho. Yeah. Okay. And now who would think of Idaho, you know, in the context of Black History Month or Black History Week? So that was an event uh, that I had an opportunity to attend. I had an opportunity to attend the event at Second Baptist Church, okay, the mm-hmm. Divine Nine uh, fraternities and sororities, and a lot of people don't know anything about them. They just think that they are partying, um, uh, sh- uh, step show participants, and they don't really understand that uh, these fraternities and sororities had a profound impact 
on the political uh, kind of structure in this country, okay, as well as the social mobility and the rise to prominence in politics and business and so on and so forth. So I attended uh, that event. Um, those are the two I'm remembering right now that I attended. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so what I love about the Bloomington events and the IU events too, but what I really love about the City of Bloomington events is that they bring together such a diversity of people. There's not just black people mm-hmm. at these events, but it really brings out the the City of Bloomington community. I was really excited, although it wasn't technically in the Black History Month calendar, but the Rosa Parks um reenactment that yeah. Miss Liz Taylor uh Liz Mitchell Liz, uh, excuse Liz me Mitchell. yeah we, we, we can't Mitchell. we can't make that you know <laughs> oh dear it's yeah. after seven o'clock <laughs> uh, but Liz Mitchell um moderated mm-hmm. so to speak and just the incredible diversity of mm-hmm. people that were there and I know that that is a core sure personal value and Mm. professional value and Mm. educational value. How important is Black History Month to the entire body that makes up this thing called the United States of America? So let me say this. History is important. Mm -hmm. Okay, And if we really taught history the way history should be taught, Mm -hmm. then we would teach history and in that history, you would have women's history, black history, Native American. You would have all of the histories incorporated in that. And so I would maintain that um, uh, Black History Month is important for African-American people, but it's equally as important for white folk too. Because if they understood, if they, me and I, I hate to use the term, but if more people understood the kind of contributions, not just the struggles. See, a lot of people want to just talk about the struggle, but if they really understood the contributions and if they understood the challenges, then they would have a greater appreciation for uh, um, the young brother who decided to kneel and not stand for the uh, for the for the uh, national anthem. for the national for the national anthem, anthem. Mm-hmm. they would have a better appreciation for why there's a Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, they would have a better understanding for a whole host of things. Okay, and and it's just a kind of ignorance that I hear people exchanging. I turn I don't watch television that much, but I turned on television today and heard Michael Steele, who was a former chair of the uh, National Republican Committee, and the the interviewer said to him, but maybe if you would just show just a little more grace and appreciation, and boy, I almost came out of my skin just listening to that crap, okay? And, I mean, do you not understand the history? I mean, that this person has risen to prominence, the, the interviewer, as well as the person being interviewed. But so I just think that there's so much for us to know, learn, and to appreciate. And you can't get it all in one month. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. You just can't get it all in one month, you know? I'm doing a, a, a book now, and one of, the, one of the things that I've sort of thought about, and that is... By choosing certain photographs and covers, do you end up, are people deterred from picking up the book and buying it? Mm. I mean, you still have, you still have this racial element. And I don't care what people say about the post-racial era. There's no such thing as a post-racial era. Right. And it's not likely to come become that anytime soon. <clears throat> and so I, I, I guess I'm sort of rambling, but the whole point is, is that history is important for all Americans. Just like American history is important, okay? African-American history, 
black history, Negro history, whatever you want to call it, okay, Japanese history, women's history, it's all important because it's all a part of America. Mm -hmm. And you can't have part of America without having all of America. You can't pick and choose which pieces you want. You know, that is a good point, Mm -hmm. which brings me to my next question. Um, We probably cannot emphasize enough the importance of history in general, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone black history. So what um, harm do we suffer when you have uh, certain school districts with limited success to try and whitewash or rewrite or remove certain uh, uh, periods of black history mm-hmm. from school books. And as far as I know, they only target black history to mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's not a topic that I have uh, uh, examined that thoroughly. But my position is, is that with our son, we never relied on the schools as a vehicle for teaching history to our son through the kinds of books that we purchased, the conversations that we had, the events that we participated in, okay? We assumed responsibility for teaching him as holistically as humanly possible. Were we disturbed when the schools did not respond as we, th- as we thought they should have? Yes, we were concerned. Did we express those concerns? Yes, we expressed those concerns. We showed up at school board meetings, teacher conferences, and everything in between, okay? But we never gave up our right to teach. And that's what I would say to parents. The big takeaway is, is don't yield your right to the school Mm -hmm. and the teachers there. Because many of those people, as well-meaning as they are, they're not culturally literate nor historically literate enough in terms of understanding all that they need to understand in order to teach the history. Now, they can do these little celebratory things, but there's a difference between celebrating and really gaining deep insights and appreciation for a discipline. Well, you're leading me down the track. So do we, for Black History Month, do we celebrate or do we we dig deeper and come up with the, uh, something more transcendent. I mean, each year that you've sure. been in this mm-hmm. on this planet, Charlie, are we getting to a more um, transcendent place of self-knowledge and understanding, or are we just no. locked in the celebration? You know, we're locked into the celebration. And I, what I, you know, I'm a proponent of this whole notion of celebrating or, or doing Black History 12 months of the year and not just sinking everything into one month, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, first of all, people get tired, you know, and there are conflicts in schedules and calendars and all of that. So why just wait until February to do it? And so I think there should be ongoing programs throughout the year. And they needn't fall under or on the Black History Month calendar. They can be on the cultural calendar for our community. Mm-hmm. Okay, the cultural calendar for our community, whether that's through music, whether that's through the arts, whether that's in journalism or communications, et cetera, et cetera. So there are multiple, so many, there are countless ways in which we can have this kind of deeper understanding. And I want us to move away from the celebration. In other words, we think we got to celebrate something. 
How can you celebrate if you don't know it? I mean, if you don't know history, how can you celebrate it? So would uh, observance be observance? Observance, commemoration, mm-hmm. okay? Those are all better terms that I think than celebrating. And, and that's just a highlight put the spotlight on it, not to necessarily define it in one month out of the year. Absolutely. That's that's all I'm saying. Well, we've got just a couple more moments Mm -hmm, left with you, Charlie. Any final, we've kind of been leading you Mm -hmm. (laughs) down the paths we want to go. Do you have some freestyle (laughs) wisdom or insights you'd like to share? You know, I I think some insights, I'm not sure how wise it is, but some insights. And, And it would be this, is that I think that I have a lot of faith in the church. I really do. Not so much denominations, but in the church, okay? As, as being a place where so many of these lessons can be taught and where people can d- gain deeper insights. I'm not talking about denominationalism now, right. okay? I'm talking about a, an active program of ongoing teaching and learning around citizenship, civic affairs, okay? Uh, black affairs, black entrepreneurship, uh, the range of things, okay? Um, and I would like to see those kinds of things, you know, incorporated. Through. Just imagine if we had this moment of black history brought to you by whomever. Mm-hmm. And if we had that in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, every month of the year. And if we did a similar kind of thing for for Japanese history, we did a similar thing for Native mm-hmm. American history. We don't have to wait until the month they have a powwow. Come on now. Right. Okay. So this moment brought to you by. I understand. I mean, that's something very minor. Very minor, but very important. Okay. Mm. But anyway. It really weaves it into sort of the fabric of. The fabric of life. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As a whole people. Absolutely. Charlie, thank you. Well, thank you all for inviting me. Our thanks to Charlie Nelms, former chancellor of North Carolina Central University, most recently, uh, Indiana University East Campus, uh, University of Michigan at Flint, and the founding vice president for the Office of the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs at IU. If you have an event or a happening in the African-American community and you'd like for us to share that with the community, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard about tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to thank Liz Mitchell, Bring It On contributor and segment producer of Dark Past, Bright Future, uh, for joining us to shed more light upon the black presence in Martinsville. We also want to thank Susan Dyer and A.J. Giannopoulos from the Monroe County History Center for coming on to discuss their upgrades and exhibits for Black History. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional soundtracks by the, no- the one and only David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Roberta Radovich. I'm William Hosea. Tune in next Monday, March 5th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. 
Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.